I wrote in the bulletin article this weekend that if we are observant of the Gospels for this month, there seems to be like a unifying theme, a theme that keeps on occurring one Sunday after another in the Gospel. And the theme, and the theme is recognizing and not recognizing Jesus. If you remember the Gospel on the first Sunday of the month, it was about the multiplication of the bread. And the disciples failed to recognize what Jesus could do. Uh, they were desperate. They did not think that Jesus could do something about it. So the solution of the disciple was, why don't you just send them away while it's still daylight? We could not feed his people. They failed to recognize who Jesus is. And the same thing the Sunday after that, when the disciples found themselves being tossed by the wave, and Jesus appeared to them, and they thought that he was a ghost. Again, failing to recognize Jesus. And then in the Gospel of Sunday, in the, in the 20th Sunday of Ordinary Time, not the one for the Feast of the Assumption, we heard about the story of the Canaanite woman. And the disciples also were complaining to Jesus, she has been bothering us, why don't you just send her away? And it was actually the Canaanite woman, a non-believer, who recognized who Jesus is by saying, Lord, you are the Son of God. Help my daughter. She's suffering. But the disciples failed to recognize who Jesus is. It's like failure of recognition one after another. And Jesus was kind of tired of it. In the Gospel today, he asked them directly, Who do you think that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they said, oh, they think that you're one of the prophets. You're Elijah, you're Jeremiah. And Jesus turned to them and said, but who do you say that I am? We need to pay attention to the fine details of the gospel because it brings about also the intent of the evangelist, of the writer, Matthew. We were told that this, that this profession of faith of Peter on the identity of Christ happened in a city called Caesarea Philippi. Whenever we read the Scriptures or the Gospel, if there are very specific names of people, of cities, we need to pay attention and ask ourselves, what's the significance of this? What's Caesarea Philippi? You know, Caesarea Philippi has a very colorful, had a very colorful history. At one time, it was the center of pagan worship in the pre-Jesus world. The previous name of Caesarea Philippi, uh, of Philippi was Balinus, um, in honor of Baal, because that was the center, that was the gravitas that was the 
like the headquarters of worship for Baal. And also, in the Greek mythology, in the history of Greek mythology, they were referred to, to this place as the birthplace of the Greek god Pan, the god of nature. My point is, by mentioning this to you, is to let you know, as what Jesus is about to do, that this place had a steep history of pagan worship. And it is named Caesarea Philippi because during that time, the ruler Philip built a monument in the hillside of the city dedicated to Caesar, who was considered to be a god also in the Roman Empire. So that is why in honor of Caesar, Philip decided to rename the place after him and after Caesar. Thus, it's called Caesarea Philippi. It is in this city, steep and once the center of pagan worship, that Jesus pronounced himself as God, as divine. God, Baal, is not God. Pan is not the true God. Baal is not the true God. Jesus, pronouncing himself as the king and God of heaven and earth right there in the city where it once held the title of the center of pagan worship. And who pronounced this? It was actually Peter. Peter, realizing a little bit in his experience with Jesus and the things that he have witnessed, that this must be the Messiah, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter got it right a little bit, but he didn't truly, truly understand or grasp what it means to be a Messiah. Why is that? A few minutes after this, if you will continue reading the gospel, when Jesus says, Peter, you are rock, you are great, I'm going to build my church you are rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Then Peter was like, oh, finally, you know, I got it right. And then when Jesus says, you know, you know who, who a Messiah, what a Messiah does? Then Jesus says that the Messiah will suffer and die and will be put to death. And Peter said, forbid that's going to happen to you. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> He did not truly grasp what the Messiah or being Christ, the Son, of, the Son of the living God, means. I want us to ponder on this. I want us to ponder, on this, and especially on the words of Christ to Peter, you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. How solid is this rock really is? How solid? Well, we don't have to look too far. We have to go back to the Scriptures again. The first time that we heard of Peter, he was referred to as a, as a fisherman. How good a fisherman Peter was. Well, in the two instances in the Gospels where we were told that Peter was fishing, 
In those two instances in the entire scriptures, referring to him as fishing, he caught nothing. Well, it gives you already how good and solid our rock is. Then, he's supposed to be a seasoned fisherman, yet he panics in a storm. He's supposed to be an excellent swimmer, but he drowns when he gets frightened by the waves. He said, I'm going to stick with you until the end. I'm going to give my life to you. But when he was confronted during the Passion, he denied Jesus three times. Quite rocky, true to his name, not too solid. And when Jesus said to him in the beginning of the Passion in, in Gethsemane, keep watch and keep vigil, and what did he do? He fell asleep. <laughs> Most of the time, uh, this rock, who's considered to be like the foundation, is really rock bottom. <laughs> but it is because of this that Jesus will gonna show that he is truly the Messiah. When Jesus says, and upon this rocky person, I will build my church, he's practically telling Peter, don't assume that you can do this on your own. You are only able to do this because of the great power behind you, and that is me, and that is I. It's interesting, even the question, who do you say that I am? I want you to look at the word I am as the name of God revealed in the Old Testament. Who do you say that I am? I am is the, God, is the name of God that he revealed to Moses. So when he asked them, who do you say that I am? Substitute the I am with the word God. Who do you say that God is? Who do you say? that the Messiah is for you, Peter. Let me be Messiah to you. Don't act as if you can do this on your own. And Peter didn't really get it right away because when he said, Lord, will not God forbid this is going to happen to you? He was refusing. He was protesting for Jesus to be Messiah, not just for him, but for all of us. The question is, who is Jesus to you? Is he a Messiah to you? Or is it just kind of a, an idea in my own life, with the things that I am concerned of right now, with the things that I am preoccupied right now, do I let God be God in my life? Or do I want to take control? With the things that I am experiencing right now, do I let God be God? Or do I tend to usurp 
God's messiahship in my life. You know, sometimes even we want to, we want even sometimes to, to take our own life and say, oh, I wish I'm not going to stay this long anymore in this world. That's usurping what is supposed to be for God alone. If we rely more on our own efforts rather than on the providence of God, then we don't know, just like Peter, who Jesus is as the Messiah. And Peter and Jesus revealed this to him slowly, slowly for three years until his death and resurrection. You know, God is so patient, and this gives me a lot of hope, I tell you. Because if Peter, who already lived with Jesus, did not get it right, even after the resurrection, it gives me great hope to my, for myself. Let Jesus be Messiah. You know, I was curious, just like I was curious last year, about, you know, who Jesus is. You can actually ask um, Siri if you have an iPhone who Jesus is. It's like, Siri, who is Jesus? And she will have, you know who Siri is, right? For those of you who have iPhone, you can ask the phone, and the woman's voice, the woman who's going to respond to you is named Siri. Or Alexa, if you have, you know, the Amazon thing. I have one in my house. And since I live alone, you know, at least I can converse with someone. So... <laughs> Sometimes they're just like, you know, Alexa, you know, it's just good. No, I'm sharing too, too much. But, but even with Siri, you ask Siri, it's like, who is Jesus? She gets it right. <laughs> and I Googled, it's like, and type Jesus. It's amazing. Like in a second, like millions of references to Jesus. Jesus really was not interested on what we gather from other people. You know, it's good to listen sometimes to, to the um, conversion stories of people. I'm always touched by the conversion of stars of people on how they got to know Jesus and how they turned their lives back to the gospel. And they are inspiring. But in the end, Jesus really is not interested for those things uh, you know, that, that, that they should be our basis. Well, we need to be inspired. But in the end, what Jesus is more interested is how, how do you really see me? Who am I really to you? I know that I am Jesus. I am God for these people that you have heard, that you have read. But how am I really to you? I mean, at the very core, we have our own kind of intellectual understanding of Jesus, and it's right there. We can have the theological one. We can have secondhand information. But do I let Christ be the Messiah to me? And what does it mean for him to embrace him as our Messiah? 
abandonment of ourselves in the hands of our Savior. Abandonment of ourselves. To abandon ourselves completely in the hands of God. Not, not a passive abandonment, but an active abandonment. We're doing our part, but at the same time knowing that the grace of God is enough for us to realize our own joy and our own happiness. If you want true joy, true security, and true happiness, let Jesus be Messiah to you.